0: That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you.
1: This piece was brought to you by Roberta's. Roberta'spizza.com.
2: You're listening to Heritage Radio Network. We're a member-supported food radio network broadcasting over 35 weekly shows live from Bushwick, Brooklyn.
3: Welcome to HRN Happy Hour. It's 5 o'clock somewhere, and somewhere is Bushwick. We're back in Bushwick, people. I'm Kat Johnson, the Communications Director here at Heritage Radio Network. And joining me today is a lot of people. This is maybe the most full the studio's ever been. Uh, from the HRN team, I've got Michaela Heck, Sam Lee, Lila Goldstein, uh, Sarah Strong, Liza Ham. Is that everybody i'm like making sure i counted everybody um that's the hrn team uh katie is on the road today she'll be back next week today's guests are some very old friends of ours um just outside the studio in the booth we have patrick martins the founder of this very network and heritage foods usa hey patrick
4: thanks for having the team heritage
3: anytime mm-hmm. we also have um hrn host mike edison who is also an honorary member and physician for
5: <laughs> infection
3: oh okay there stop go. infection uh we also have the rest of the h uh the heritage foods usa team we've got emily pearson hey emily we've got ben tanzel hi. patty lee hey Catherine greeley hello and elizabeth greeley hi so, yeah, this is a very, very full house, but we're all in here cozy and comfortable. Um, we're going to chat more with them later, but first, we've got HRN headlines. And, oh, I'm so sorry. I forgot to mention David Tattashore. How dare I? He's
6: Yeah, thanks. There he is.
3: Um, so we're going to chat later, but first, we have headlines and some event announcements. But first, um, I wanted to recap our week at Charleston Wine and Food. Um, we spent last weekend in the holy city at one of the nation's very best food festivals, talking to some of the most talented chefs, winemakers, farmers, and writers. We recorded 15 hours of live radio for HRN on tour from the heart of the culinary village, and you can listen to all of it at heritageradionetwork.org/ontour. We spoke with some really amazing people, and the conversation should not be missed uh david and liza i wanted to ask you because you guys were in charleston with us what were some of your highlights of the weekend that tuna (laughs) oh my gosh so we went to this party at the dewberry hotel which is like the big after party of the festival and it was real
0: real austere real simple right yeah, yeah, yeah
3: yeah yeah there's like crabs and there's there was a 700 pound line caught tuna they were making you know tuna rolls with truffle shaved in them. It was very that um, part was
0: unnecessary. Yeah, just it for was. the record,
3: it was absolutely wild. But um, they, Ian Perkistanza from Regalis Foods and William Sonoma put that party together, and AKA it was
0: truffle boy
3: bonkers. And That's
7: they real. did. They did uh, make sure that the what was left, the tuna that they did not use, that was still wonderful. They donated to some homeless shelters in the area so
1: that was good
3: yes that was good (laughs) it was a very fun party and glad um and yeah so some of the content highlights we talked to jessica b harris glenn roberts i was gonna say jessica b harris yeah and sarah franklin i believe the two
7: of them were talking about the legacy of edna lewis
3: that was a super super highlight incredible yeah um so go check out all those interviews we also had a very special episode of hr and happy hour that we recorded as our last hour of the festival. And at that point, we were all like pretty much delirious.
0: I think that was the point that your voice just went bye-bye. I was
3: just Absolutely. <laughs> I was like, welcome to HR and happy hour. and uh, But our fan, Neil, said it was his favorite episode. He loved the energy, got Aww. him very hyped. So shout out to Neil for making me feel like I didn't, I didn't do so bad after all. Um, yeah. Any other highlights, guys?
7: We ate really well. Like, yeah. I can't think of one bad bite we had, right? So, exactly. From fig to the darling to Hominy
3: Grill. Thank you, Robert Stelling, Ugh. for once again feeding us. Oh, yeah. Ugh. Bog shrimp. My favorite thing was we ordered tomato pudding at Hominy Grill, and it was so good. And he came out after the meal, and, and we asked, what is that? And he said, it's canned tomatoes, butter, sugar, and white bread or cornbread, whatever I have that's white trash cooking. And I was like, that's what I want. It was perfect. Um, Yeah. So yeah, check out all that content. We had a really good time and we can't wait to do it again next year. All right. So now we're going to move on to our headlines. All right. On Monday, Japan Eats host Akiko Katayama
8: spoke with Tokyo-based photographer, author, and dining consultant Andrea Fazari about her new book, Tokyo New Wave, the next generation of Tokyo chefs, uh, that released on March first. Andrea's relationships with Tokyo's most influential, oh, influential and respected chefs gives her a unique insider perspective. Quick
0: correction: that is coming out on March thirteenth. I was told uh, by Akiko sorry. today. I can't hear. Teaser. Yeah. <laughs> I
3: don't have headphones on. Okay, it's, that
0: was all I had to say. And, uh, so who's Am next?
7: Yeah.
9: <laughs> this week's speaking broadly featured a guest with a remarkable story: Valerie Lomas, who won season three of the Great American Baking Show. Lomas's achievement was a point of pride for both herself and her community. But when the sexual when sexual misconduct allegations came out against one of the show's judges. For that season, Lomas learned that the season would never air and her accomplishment would fly under the radar. Lomas spoke in depth about overcoming this pain and disappointment with host Dana Cowan, and the conversation is really
1: worth checking out. On Meant to be Eaten this week, host Cora Lee spoke with Carlos Baca and Neftali Duran of iCollective a group of indigenous chefs, activists, herbalists, seed, and knowledge keepers who are trying to rewrite history and educate the public about native food pathways and the agricultural and culinary legacy of Native America. Listen to their discussion about defining indigenous food sovereignty, how colonialism has impacted health and identity, and finding ways to present a more honest cultural history. Cutting the Curd introduced a new member of the team this week, producer Elena Santagade. In addition to producing, El- Elena will be hosting the show once a month as well. Learn more about her in this week's episode.
8: And on Beer Sessions Radio, uh, host Jimmy Carboni sat down with Jens Reimer from To'ol, beer in Denmark. I had to Google that earlier, how to pronounce it. Mike Amade from Torst and B.R. Rola from Shelton
3: Brothers for a post-Beer Week 2018 chat. hey, hey. Hey,
0: hey, hey. Hey, hey, hey. Hey, hey, hey. Hey, hey, hey. I'm Jimmy Carboni.
3: All right, so that's just a taste of our content this week. Um, You can listen to all 35 of our weekly shows at heritageradionetwork.org. We also have a few events coming up this month that we wanted to share with you.
9: So this coming Monday, March 12th, host Dana Cowan will be interviewing Martha Hoover at South by Southwest in Austin for a special episode of Speaking Broadly. So be sure to tune in.
1: And on March 13th, Snacky Tunes Live is taking place at the El Rey Theater in LA. The evening will feature an interview and an intimate performance by soul singer-songwriter Nia, uh, interview and food from chef Michael Wexler and Michael Kassar of Wexler's Deli, and a DJ set from Them Jeans. Tickets for the show are $30 and include a plate of food. And on March 22nd, we're hosting a So You Think You Know Mezcal, an educational tasting, again here at 100 Bogart from 6.30 to 8 p.m. It's being hosted by SACRED, which is a group that stands for Saving Agave from Agriculture for Agriculture, Recreation, Education, and Development. Tickets are available now, and you can find more information at heritageradionetwork.com slash events.
3: So check out all those events. You can, you know, you can check out Heritage at South by Southwest in Austin, in LA, and here in Brooklyn. So no matter where you are in the country, you can come hang out with us um, during March. All right. So once again, I want to turn back to our guests, Heritage Food USA. Thanks to everybody for coming and hanging out. Um. So I also I just want to start by quickly going around and everyone introducing themselves and telling me, you know, what you do at Heritage Foods. Ben, do you want to start? Sure, I will.
6: So I work in the warehouse, director of uh, warehouse operations, sort of taking care of the inventory, receiving, sending out packages.
10: Awesome. Yeah. I'm Emily Pearson. I'm uh, director of wholesale sales. I don't know why I said that twice. Wholesale. Um, so Sale I, and sales. Yeah, exactly. So uh, we move uh, about 200 pigs a week, nose to tail, and we sell all of our cuts and whole animal to chefs and butcher shops around the country. So I organize where everything is going every week.
7: Hey there, I'm Catherine. Um, I run the mail order department at Heritage. Uh you go on our website heritagefoodsusa.com um you can purchase her uh meat from heritage breed animals um all varieties pork lamb goat beef etc um so, turkey turkey absolutely. don't forget about the turkey
3: <laughs> uh, <laughs> Was that a dinosaur? (laughs) I'm not sure.
6: The sound bite's too long. (laughs) (laughs) Uh,
7: Yes,
11: all of those. Uh, (laughs) So I'm Elizabeth Greeley, most importantly, Catherine's sister, but um, do the shipping at Heritage Foods and also the marketing and really, you know, trying to let people know about who we are, what we're doing and drum up some excitement around it.
9: And I'm Patty. I'm the in house chef and photographer, and I also head the customer service team, which is all of us. <laughs> <laughs>
5: So many powerful women here today.
3: International Women's Day. Yeah, we're Including getting more to you, that Mike. later. Yes.
5: So I'm uh, Mike Edison, and I'm sort of the minister of propaganda, <laughs> um, copywriter, and uh, I write pork copy. And uh, you know, I, I also do I also do a show here on the radio station on Heritage Radio. What do I have to do to get arts and seizures in your headlines?
3: Oh, good question. Good question.
5: We had a porn star on last week who's won <laughs> this is her Marcus industry's a of equivalent of seizures, is Dave. First who who won her industry's equivalent Mike. of the James Beard Award? Really? <laughs> what are those awards called? <laughs> the, the Adult Video News Awards, the AVN wow. Awards. I'm not going to tell you what she uh, won for. Not on this show. I don't want to scare. Uh oh. Scare all your food nerd listeners away.
3: Our listener's about to tune but, in. But, arts it was, and
5: cheese seizures. but it was. But uh, it was piquant, you might say.
3: Oh. Mm. Yeah. So tell pe- people who uh, <laughs> oh, maybe don't listen to every HRN show tell us what hearts and Arts and Seizures is all about.
5: <laughs> the the bastard stepchild of this whole operation. Yeah, yeah. We, we're pretty much a free form. Uh, sprawling fastest 30 minutes on the air now we have porn stars and wrestlers and a lot of rock and roll on and last last week I was doing food songs though we did songs about pork and chicken we played a record now you guys don't we're remember this but once upon a time um, sometimes records were stamped into cardboard and you can get them on the back of a cereal box. Count Chocula had them uh, I remember playing the Archies from the back of a box of um, Sugar Smacks but the one we played was the bottom, literally the <laughs> the bottom of the bucket this record was, it was the bottom of a chicken bucket, like a bucket of fried chicken from Chicken Delight and it was the chicken <laughs> twist. So we do food content occasionally.
3: <laughs> maybe maybe uh, Heritage Foods could start doing that when you when you order. Yeah. do you have the technology
5: we have the technology
3: do do we have the technology um so i i want to kind of ask for anyone who's listened to our show before but isn't like familiar with the history of the radio station and the connection to heritage foods usa can you guys kind of explain what the term heritage means and how it relates to the meat that you guys are selling patrick you want to step in there
4: I mean, am I serious? No one knows the definition of heritage Patrick, in there. Patrick,
3: step
5: up to the plate.
4: All right, listen. First of all, Ben also runs our charcuterie program. First oh, of corrections, all... Corrections, corrections. Emily's Jewish mother and mine would like to know that we do sell things other than pork. Uh, we sell turkeys, goats, ducks, geese. Catherine, very humble, uh, actually started as an intern and now owns 20% of Heritage Foods. So she sounds a lot more humble. Um... Elizabeth, as a grillie, also humble, is actually starting a whole new scanning program for us and relaunching our website to be modern. Ooh. So, two things she did not mention. Patty is not only a chef and photographer, but she also does is become a professional at doing breed tastings. Those are like vertical tastings where we taste like five breeds of lamb leg, five breeds of pork chop. So, she's probably one of the most experienced people to know about nuances of different breeds. And Mike... Uh, Actually, I would under-exaggerate some of the stuff he said. Just kidding.
3: Um, but no, seriously, Patrick. Like, can you like give a quick synopsis of like what heritage means for? I I think that we can't say it enough.
4: Well, heritage uh, heritage turkey. To be a heritage turkey, you have to live a long time—fifteen years instead of two. You also have to be able to reproduce naturally, which factory-farmed turkeys and chickens cannot do themselves, and. To be heritage, you have to be a breed that can be traced back prior to 1945. Mm-hmm. So that is really, you can apply that to pigs and other things. Those are the three. It, it, there's no, new, no such thing as a new Bible hero, mm-hmm. as Mike wrote very eloquently. And so there's, you can't just make a heritage breed in the factory farm right now and give it a name and claim its heritage.
3: Mm-hmm. Um, and last was it last week that we had Frank Reese visit us? Um, David, did you get a clip of, of Frank Reese by chance?
0: I did. you want to play that?
3: Uh, well, let me have... Um, Elizabeth, do you want to set up kind of like what Frank was here for and visiting and in what we talked to him about? Sure. So
11: Frank is our, turkey fa- our poultry farmer. Um, and so he came up to talk about everything he's doing on the farm. We love when he comes and visits. He's really who we look to as, you know, the... The father of heritage breeds and genetics, and can come and educate us. We had a few dinners um, around him when it untitled, where we it was an amazing dinner. A tasting. We had his duck, his chicken, and his turkey, and it was wonderful. Um, he came in here, and we did some radio segments. We also had a tasting at um, the warehouse with him and got to get some people, you know, in the neighborhood to come out and meet the man behind, you know, the legend, because mm-hmm. he really is. Have anything to add? He, he And it was really amazing to speak with him. <laughs> okay. It was really amazing to speak with him and learn just about genetics, because we, you know, we work with his turkeys all the time. People have all these questions, but he... Um, you know, he's out there on the farm with these animals and he knows so much about it and he's so passionate and to talk with him, and to just um, you know, you can, we, we learn so much.
3: He also just has a really amazing sounding voice. So I want to play yes. this clip of him so that people can really hear the, the man behind the meat.
12: Well, probably one of the things I always like pointing out to people if they come visit the farm, they're going to see something at my farm you will never see at any other type of industrial farm that's old birds i've got some hens that are 10 12 14 15 years old they may be walking a little funny they may should be showing a little arthritis and you know just like humans they you know they start showing their age and you would never see that on any type of commercial farm for various reasons the turkeys don't live that long plus they put no value in honoring the aging of an animal. You know, part of the reason why I keep some of those old turkeys is because they've worked for me, you know, for 12, 14, 15 years. They have, to me, they've given, they have the right to die a natural death. And that type, you, you're just not going to see. But I just want to bring, that's probably one of the biggest things that is different. The other thing that you would you're going to see on my farm that you won't see other places is male and female turkeys together. All the industrial turkeys being produced out there, um, never the toms and hens never see each other in their entire life. Um, the toms are kept in one building and the semen's collected there and they take it over into another building and they put it in the hens. And so in my farm, you may see turkeys having sex, you know, and there's been a number of visitors, you know, walk through the building and they look down and go, oh my gosh, I said, Now, there's natural behavior. (laughs) You know, a lot of the animal rights groups go on about wanting animals to have the ability to perform natural behavior. Well, I can't think of anything more natural. The other thing you're going to see, you won't see it, is a hen sitting on eggs and hatching them. And the hen still having the genetic ability and the understanding within her to do that and to mother to be able to raise. I always have chickens that hide out under my porch or whatever and I have what I call my yard chickens that I don't water, I don't feed in it and they survive and they grow and they do fantastic cuz they still have that that ability to do that. So that's probably one of the, some of the things that I think you'll see that you won't see at other places.
3: That just makes me wonder like is it Thanksgiving yet cuz I'm like is it? I want to eat turkey again. <laughs> um,
5: we have
10: turkeys all year round. That's true. Ever. Now they're naturally breeding only once a year, so we have them fresh once a year for Thanksgiving and for Christmas. But you can eat turkey all year round. We're even going to do some grilling with turkey. Mm-hmm. I think this year that's yes. that's in the cards. Ben's breaking out the charcoal, right? <laughs> oh yeah. So uh, and we have very creative recipes
11: turkeys in ways you've never thought to have before. Very so, different than just the Thanksgiving, but
3: that's super interesting too because people think people often think about fruits and vegetables being seasonal, but not uh, animals and meat. And so, can you guys talk a little bit more about about why meat is seasonal and and what are some of the seasons for different um, animals that you sell?
10: Catherine, that's you.
7: Sure, yeah. <laughs> uh, well. Um, Frank mentioned it um, in his clip there, but you know, men, most uh, industrial-raised animals are all artificially inseminated. Um, but the farmers that we work with all um, mate their animals naturally. So, um, you know, like we heard, the turkeys—they uh, all, you know, that's kind of why, why turkey was eaten at Thanksgiving because um, that was what was available to be harvested at that time of year. Um, and
11: they're hatching right now. Frank had to get back to his farm oh. to hatch the turkeys. <laughs> yes, he was right. very excited about it.
7: Yeah, so the first turkeys just hatched uh, this past week, um, and then we have other, you know, other animals are uh, like the lamb, for example. They um, mate twice a year, and um, the animal, and then the the animals. Um, grow the babies grow and they're they're available you know in the spring uh... traditionally you hear about spring lamb um, other animals like pigs uh... are uh... mating all year round so we can continue to have pork all year round which is which is really great for um, a lot of these farmers who you know for example frank was getting uh... you know another turkey farmers were receiving a check once a year from us because they would raise all the animals all year round and then um... And, and so it was sort of uh, what other animals can we raise so that we can, you know, continue to get paid and continue this process of farming uh, throughout the whole year.
3: What about Goat-tober? There's a specific reason that you are trying to push goat in October.
7: Right. Goat-tober is a great one. Um Goat is very similar to, to lamb in the, the size and um, sort of the life cycle. <laughs> so the, um, the goats are born um, actually around this time of year as well, uh, March and April, and uh, it's called kidding season. And then um, uh, they're raised on you know, grasses all in the pasture all year, all spring and summer, and then um, they're ready for harvest in the fall, uh,
3: October, which we've renamed Goattober. Goat-tober. <laughs> get that goat while you can, and it's uh you're put you're having restaurants partner with you and like putting goat on the menu, so it's a good time of year. Is it only in New York or are other cities doing it as well? We um we work with uh we send.
10: Sorry, excuse me. So the what the way it works, and this was started by uh, Aaron Fairbanks, former executive director of HRN, mm-hmm. and Anne Saxelby uh, of Saxelby Cheesemongers, and Patrick's wife, um, and the idea was that the male dairy goats didn't have a purpose, mm-hmm. and they were just being euthanized, and they were not really playing a part, uh, for lack of a better way to say it. So Aaron and Anne together, I think it was seven years ago, maybe eight. I don't know Patrick can chime in, but um, we've been doing Goatober, or we call it a uh, no kid or no goat left behind in October. This past year, I think we had about uh, 140 goats and maybe more than 30, 40 restaurant partners. So it's New York <laughs> Las Vegas, San Francisco, um, and we even ship some down to Charleston. We have uh, a few chefs, uh, Robert from Hominy Grill, Mm -hmm. and uh, Trace at Sorghum and Salt, um, and people who really like to get on board and and support this and be part of the movement. So look out for that as we get closer to the fall. But we always post a list of of who's doing goat specials, and the chefs take whole animal.
4: That's 140 a week for four weeks. So you know we're raising about like you know seven eight hundred goat.
3: Mm-hmm. forgive me, a week. The first time I ever met Erin actually was she was doing an event with Matt Rudolfger from Sambar and I was working with him at the time and we, we did a he did a goat pho demonstration at, at Astra Center and it was really, really cool and very, very good. It's also, it's also an opportunity yes. for uh, chefs who like to work with whole animal, mm-hmm. but it's
10: on the smaller side, so that it's not something that's too overwhelming. So we don't deliver the goat as cuts, we deliver it whole, and our chefs will post awesome videos to Instagram and time lapse, and they
3: literally use every part nose to tail. So cool. Um, all right, well, I think what we'll do now is take a quick break. We'll come back. We'll ask you a few more questions about life at Heritage Foods, and then uh, we have some trivia and our theme this week is International Women's Day. So stay tuned.
2: This is the story of men and
0: women who shed not only their clothes, but also their... boy co-owner of robertas a super duper awesome place robertas is a
5: very 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 proud sponsor of the heritage radio network we're also super awesome thank you heritage
3: thank you robertas all right we are back with the heritage foods usa team they are our friends our neighbors our confidants they we really are so connected to them in so many ways and we are connected through obviously Patrick Martins, who is the founder of both Heritage Foods USA and Heritage Radio Network. Uh, Patrick, are you still in there? I can't see you.
4: Yeah, for all our listeners who aren't watching, uh, you know I am in the studio because there's so many people in the studio, right? I mean, I'm in the the booth. The booth. Sorry. Yes.
3: You have like a real position of power. Yes. In the booth. Uh, so you were just saying that you have so many great people that work with you. Um, Do you want
4: me to say my favorite in order?
3: Yes, please. Great. Right. <laughs> From best to worst. Um, so, Patrick, what what do you think is the biggest difference between when you first started Heritage Foods USA and now?
4: Catherine, can you answer that?
3: <laughs> Everyone keeps defaulting to Catherine.
4: Um, the, you know, it's very hard to predict the future. You can just draw references from what you've seen. You know, to try to predict, you need experience, you need corporate culture around something so you can predict and feel a little bit more confident about the ups and downs and be prepared for them. So uh, really, in large part, it turned when Catherine started working with us, but it's gotten so great with Emily and, you know, it's just a a great team. And Patty, what she's doing gastronomically for the office, I mean, it's just really such a great team um, that it's a lot easier. You know, we figured stuff out on the farms we figured out annual things like breeding and stuff. We figured out daily things like invoicing and sales. And it's starting to, you know, there's there's a corporate culture now that used to not exist. And especially with endangered breeds that grow very slowly and seasonal animals that only come out once a year. It takes five or seven or eight years, which is just eight times, you know, to learn certain things. So it's you know, pretty great.
3: How many farmers did you work with when you started and how many farmers do you work with now?
4: Well, they all came through Frank. He would be at the top of the family tree for all the farms that we've ever met, with rare exception. Uh, well, you know, the pig farms anyway, uh, in the Midwest. So, yeah, we were, we're probably the primary source of income for, and when I say we, I mean the chefs and our mail order customers. We're just the liaisons, but I would say probably 70 to 80 families in agriculture rely on this community slash restaurant-supported agriculture program.
3: Um, do you have, do you guys have any other stories of like some of your favorite farmers that you work with?
6: David Newman is one of my favorite farmers. Uh, he's a pork farmer. He's a giant human being, like in what he does on his farm and his actual physical stature. He's a very large human. Um, but his Berkshire hogs are amazing.
7: And, um. I remember meeting Larry Sorrell and his wife Madonna, um, Hi. who are, uh, you know, the they have the keepers of the Red Wattle breed. Um, they've created a this this amazing network, um, primarily of Amish farmers, out in the Midwest and Missouri area, um, who are all raising these pure Red Wattle pigs now. Um, and, and Larry and Madonna themselves are, are getting a little older. Um, so we'll go visit them. And, uh, but they'll still cook for us, and, and um, they're so welcoming. They're wonderful.
11: But so, I think with that, you also have to talk about the pig they're raising and red bottle the breed itself that's a fattier pig we make bacon from it people request that like not only you know is it the farmer but it's what they're raising and that's what heritage foods is all about these different breeds that we're saving the genetics because the taste is so much different and each breed has its own taste and um, it's so much more flavorful than commodity meat
5: I think along with the chefs, you need to uh, also mention the great cure masters that we get to work with. And that was one of the best, uh, a lot of perquisites on this gig,
6: mm-hmm. <laughs> um, yeah, work, right.
5: working for Heritage. And one of the best was getting to go down to Kentucky and uh, Tennessee with the gang and seeing um, Al Benton and, uh, and the Newsom's uh, uh, shop and, um, and, their, and their cure rooms and, and uh, interviewing some hams, <laughs> 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 trying to get the mutt juice out of a room full of uh, would be prosciutto.
2: Um,
5: <laughs> uh, but yeah, those, I mean, these people are. are, are Superstars. Uh, yeah, are what really, we're trying uh, in to the do business.
4: for meat is like what wine is done for wine. You know, you talk about different vintages, different varietals. They come out at different times of year. You know, like our prosciutto people take their hams through eight different rooms to recreate the seasons. So you know, we don't really see meat in this country the way we do wine, but we
5: should. Wine, so, wine and prosciutto. I mean, they have a lot in common. It's incredibly in time-consuming mm-hmm. to make a prosciutto. I mean, from the time a pig is born to a time, you know, you can you can put it on on a piece of bread is years. Mm-hmm. I mean, the investment in time and knowledge and, of course, generations and generations of experience—it's incredible. I and mean, Patrick was just saying today—he knows a hundred people who make salami. He knows, you know, five that make. Prosciutto or country-aged hams—it's just so time-consuming. You have to invest in the product years before before you get to see anything out of it.
4: And um, you, you need like a football field-sized warehouse, which most people don't have.
0: Right.
3: Speaking of the prosciutto, can you tell the story about um, Cesare and and what he did here in the states with? Yeah.
4: Well, Emily's the best person to tell that story because she used to work with Cesare.
3: That's right, that's right. I'm just the translator for
10: Cesare. (laughs) That was my first time on Heritage Radio, was a couple years ago, maybe more. I don't know, when was the last time Patrick had his show? But uh, Cesare was on to be interviewed. I was his assistant at the time, and Cesare talked and said a lot of nice things that I don't think most of the listeners understood because he has such a heavy accent. And then Patrick looked at me and was like... So, can you sum up everything that just happened (laughs) in the last 40 minutes and make it concise in two? And I was bright red and nervous, probably like I am now. Well, Um, who who is Cesare? So Cesare Casella is a, uh, I I don't want to say former, but former chef in terms of having his own kitchen uh, here in New York. He's from Tuscany, from Italy, uh, and he's been in New York maybe 25 years or so, and as a chef, always dreamed of of really pursuing charcuterie. It was something that was in his family and his blood and sort of the way of the Tuscans um, and the traveling butchers that would come to, to visit. At homes every year and help you butcher your pig and and turn it into salami um so Cesare a couple of years ago was sort of ending a relationship with one of his restaurants and was in need of a new project but figuring out what he was going to do and right around that time uh Patrick happened to call him because uh Sam Edwards one of our longtime friends and amazing cure masters who's doing a, a more southern country. Uh, country ham it had a fire in his smokehouse and for us one of the most important parts of the pig to move every week while every single cut down to the tail matters the ham is heavy and it's a big part um, and so we really look to our cure masters that mike was talking about newsom benton you know everyone Broadbent, um volpe casella's edwards everyone uh and do artisans It's 30 pounds on each side. It's a big part. And so Patrick called Chesery and was like, I need help. Sam had a fire. I have a year's worth of pigs on the ground. What can I do? Uh, Can you help? Can you take a ham or two? And Chesery was like, "Uh, let me call you back. And so he called him back and.
4: What the fuck do I do with the one a ham? Uh, (laughs) That that doesn't help you or me.
10: So that's actually what he said and uh, I wasn't working for him at the time so maybe it wasn't translated properly but um, and then he called him back and he said, okay I've always wanted to do this I've always done sh- uh, salami but prosciutto is really you know the thing I've always wanted to do it takes time it takes space I have uh, a plant where I can do it send me a pallet We're gonna get started send me 68 to 100 hams a week sometimes 200. And fast forward two years, and an incredible Italian-style American heritage prosciutto is here, in addition to all the other wonderful masters we work with. But Cesare is local to us here in New York. You know, with embodies everything that Italy is, but to be using our heritage hams exclusively has been really fun and exciting, and the product is delicious. Roberta's actually uses it on their pizza, so you can go taste it after if you want. Um, but it's it's been, for me, selfishly, really fun to to go from working with someone like Cesare to now being at
3: Heritage and still working so closely with him. And it was written up in the New York Times. Mm -hmm. and I've tasted it, it is amazing.
4: Can I ask a question? Yeah. Uh, To Ben and Patty, the two chefs, uh, Patty especially, what are the differences of the breeds? Like, um, uh, Patty's just getting the thing, but How are the breeds different? Like when you cook the lamb and it's the same cup, but just from a different breed. Like Rochezzare, when he looks at his four breeds of prosciutto and he's like, each one's so different from one another. Like, have you made any observations about those nuances?
6: I guess when it comes to pork, the most obvious is the marbling and fat content. Um, I've noticed that through our Red Wattle versus our Berkshire down through Tamworth and Duroc. But when it comes to other breeds, perhaps Patty is a little more nuanced with like the differences between like a Tunis leg and perhaps a Dorset leg of lamb.
9: Yeah, I think it's pretty similar. It's the fat content, and I, I, I would like to say the amount that the animal is exercised throughout its life because of the mus- muscle structure. Everything tastes different. Um, their feed, yeah, and the region that they're from is just
3: they just taste different. Yeah. Cool. Um, Yeah. Patty, I also want to ask you a little bit, too, about, like, can you kind of describe... It's so fascinating to me when, like, you're in the warehouse cooking and taking doing photo shoots because a lot of those things you're photographing go into the catalog and on the website, and they look... I mean, they are beautiful images, and they look like they're at someone's, like, fancy dinner table, but you're in a warehouse, and you're using not, like, professional kitchen equipment. So... She's yes. using a toaster oven. It yes. is amazing. I, yeah. I, I am not
11: a good cook. It is yeah. amazing what Patty
3: can do
5: in
11: that warehouse. I've so, learned
5: so much from watching Patty. To yeah. No, there's no question about it. I mean, my, my technique in, in the old lodge pan is so much better, you know, for have, having worked with you.
3: Right.
5: Absolutely. I mean, I learned a lot of tricks I mean, like sort of um, searing the fat cap and doing the edges first and then cooking, we're talking about pork chop in, you know, so instead of using oil in the pan or whatever, I'm using the fat from the pork chop. I learned that mm-hmm. from you and start, started vertically, you know, I'm you know, kind of with the pork chop at a 90 degree angle to the pan um, and, and then going back and forth which, which is great, you know, there are a lot of a lot of tricks it's, you know, there's a lot of nuance actually to cooking a pork chop mm. especially things, when they're cut thick It's
3: one of those things where limitation almost breeds creativity do mm-hmm, you find that? Absolutely, yep <laughs> So yeah, describe us, like what's a typical day of like doing a photo shoot
9: Um Oof
5: it's just like the porn business, It's like
11: it's,
9: you know,
5: like down in the valley, you know, everything looks good, but it's really just a warehouse.
11: Oh
9: my
5: god!
11: <laughs> well, with the launch of the new website coming up, that um, this was really important to us. So, we kind of new rebranded um in the fall, we found a new logo, and which so, looks amazing.
3: I love yes, it. Yes,
11: we love that. We literally found it, then found mm-hmm. um, that in the warehouse, mm-hmm. and then we worked through it. It was a stamp, and um, so with that. And then us being here and, you know, really wanting to be able to scale the business we're we're working to launch a new website. And with that, we want everything on brand and a new look. So we got a little photo studio set up in the warehouse. And that's where Patty has really come in and, uh, mm-hmm. and been doing it.
9: Yeah, everything basically cool. you're able to get beautiful color on any lodge cast iron and an induction, is, which is what we use. Um, and the toaster oven really just evens up the, <laughs> <laughs> the inside of the meat.
6: Yeah. yeah, toaster. It's, That's pretty great. Yeah, little Breville guy. <laughs> it's nice. You can do roasting or what was it like air frying? Air frying. Oh. Pretty cool.
3: And I just love some days, especially when the weather is nice. You'll walk by and the the warehouse door will be open, and you're using the natural light to take photos. <laughs>
9: That's I think the most flattering way to photograph food mm-hmm. is natural sunlight. Sometimes it's it's hard though because the clouds
3: shift and they yeah. are constantly reset. Or there's a dog running through the warehouse. Yeah. <laughs> One of the many dogs. Flies,
4: flies. That's our big problem oh, when yeah. we cook food. There's
6: no flies or dogs in the warehouse. <laughs> <laughs> you're insane. Yeah. There's no flies they're, or they're dogs. They're imaginary.
3: <laughs> um awesome. Well, Guys, this has been really fun and I'm glad that we talk about heritage foods a lot, um, but it's really cool to like hear the day-to-day of what you guys actually do there because um, it takes a lot. I know it takes a lot to actually live up to the eat them to save them motto. There's a lot of work that goes on behind the scenes.
4: And I'll say one thing, running a meat business with fresh meat, going in and out, annual events where like 10,000 turkeys will get killed or 5,000 ducks in a day and, you know, it's very hard to run a meat business like that and move all this stuff and not have any spoilage and take care of something that expiring while also keeping up the mission side of things, you know, and education and the event. So it is really an unbelievable team, um, you know, that is running that network. I mean, it just, I'm I'm so proud to work with these guys, and Aww. it's an honor, and all well, that. A sure and sa- I'm amazed I'm uh, standing here, except for Mike.
5: Thanks. <laughs> a sure sign of uh, Patrick's success is how many imitators he has, Ooh. and how many people are trying to co-op the word <laughs> heritage, and how many people are running around claiming to be something of for which they have no real bona fides, except no substitutes. Yeah. An educated consumer is our, is best, our best, customer. Customer. best customer. Awesome. Awesome. We should go to the suit business, you and me. I just invented that. Yeah, I know. Everybody here is too young to know what the hell you're talking about. I know. I could take credit for it.
3: <laughs> All right. Well, since I'm going to change pace. Do you, what? Do you have something else to say, Mike?
5: <laughs> just, just marveling at the youth in this room.
3: Uh, <laughs> the youth and the women of Heritage, because it's International Women's Day. So.
4: Studio, Ben, walk out. <laughs> just- Back
3: out. So I'm going to turn it over to Sam Lee, our trivia master, because she has some International Women's Day trivia for us. Excited, and I haven't folks. seen it, so I'm playing, too. There is oh, yeah, nothing okay.
5: trivial about international women. You're
3: right. No, you're that's right. right. Hold that's on. I'm right. Gonna Good answer.
5: That's right. This yeah. is what a feminist looks like, yo. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> All
8: right. So, uh, yeah, we're going to quiz you on our... Nation's female heritage today.
5: Who is Michelle Obama?
8: <laughs> um, that is not the answer to the first question. I'll give you that hint right away. Um, so your first question is that while activists around the nation we're trying to get rid of all the Confederate statues, we are also trying to break the bronze ceiling for women and get more statues of women around. So Central Park is slated to get its first two statues of women in 2020. First, real women. They have fictional women for in like the park Allison. already. Allison. <laughs> So, who are the two women that are getting parks, uh, getting statues in Central Park, and they are both from the uh, suffrage movement?
5: Oh, so it's not Beyonce.
8: (laughs) I wish. Katie Stanton? That is, uh, Elizabeth Katie Stanton is one. Yeah. Who's the second one? Women's suffrage, folks? Oh, Oh,
6: I'm like, Seneca Falls, who are the people? Clara
3: Um, Barton? No. No?
7: That's.
3: I want to say Lucretia Mott, but that's probably wrong. Uh, It involves a middle initial. (laughs) Oh, Susan B. Anthony. Correct, yeah. (laughs) I'm like, what
8: do I uh, do for a hint? Suffragette City. There you go. Yeah. I know. Yeah, like yeah. the queen of all suffragettes. Um, I,
5: didn't, I wasn't fond of her coin though, I have to say.
8: I was going to give a hint of money. I yeah, uh, guess, uh, but uh, then I, the Susan B.
5: Anthony dollar is kind of a non I was like
8: questioning in my head if that was, I was like, that's a thing, right? Okay, it's the dollar. Susan B. Anthony dollar.
5: You guys dollar. don't remember the Eisenhower dollar. So I seen that.
3: My dad collects
8: coins. That'll so be next why. week's round of trivia will be about coins. coins. Now, currency. now they're yeah. like worth a dollar. <laughs> Yeah, all All right. Question two. So uh, as a nation, we got the 19th Amendment to vote in 1920. But the first state uh, to give the right to vote to women was in 1870, which is a Western territory that is now nicknamed the Equality State. What state was the first to give women, women the right to vote? If you happen to know what the Equality State is, it is Western. It is not Oregon. It's
3: Patrick, starts, you have any guesses?
4: No, I'm just going to guess there's a western state. Nervous. It starts with a W.
8: There's a lot of ranching it's, it's there. Wyoming. It's Wyoming. Wyoming yeah. wow.
3: Oh,
8: um, ladies in Wyoming were voting in 1870. Um, I mean, on state issues. What uh, happened
4: to that state since then?
8: <laughs> I know, right? It's a lot. Of, maybe it was just that there were so few women. They're like, sure. <laughs> Sure, all three of you can vote. <laughs> <laughs> it's like Dick, it's like Dick Cheney territory, Wyoming. <laughs> Um, all right, uh, number three. Uh, on International Women's Day in 2015, an artist created a group of new Lego figurines for uh, the first female, four female Supreme Court justices, and she called it the Legal Justice League. Mm-hmm. So, uh, what? Who were the first four Ruth female?
3: Dinah Ross. King. The
8: notorious RBG. Well, well, RBG for sure. Day so- Ocon- Sandra Day S- S- O'Connor. Sotomayor? Sotomayor, yeah, and one more. Caden. Uh, yeah, Elena Kagan. Wow. Is- Tina Turner.
7: Yeah. Who's
5: Tina Turner?
8: Teamwork makes the dream. work. So close, Mike. <laughs> so close. All right, your fourth question is, uh, 19th century culinary expert Fanny Farmer is often called the mother of level me- measurements uh, because she helped standardize the cooking measurements that we now take for granted. So how many tablespoons are in a cup?
7: 16.
8: Sixteen is oh, correct. Nice. Which is two sticks of butter. Yeah. That sounds right. Yeah, eight tablespoons. I per measure stick. things. In I mean, it butter. depends on which <laughs> stuff you yeah.
5: I don't <laughs> like bake. A true but I'm really art, fascinated yeah. with those spoons. Uh,
3: <laughs> <laughs> you Just start doing things with your hands. It's you know, kind, of, it's kind, of, it's kind of a drug
5: thing. It's those spoons are <laughs>
3: like the ones that are attached to each other. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like I, the sets of measuring spoons.
5: That. Yeah, I, I could play the spoons. Oh, yeah, someone get someone get Mike's spoons I know.
3: Someone go get some measuring spoons. We'll have a music break.
8: All right. Um, while we're waiting for that to happen, <laughs> your next question is this. What college, which is the alma mater of girls creator Lena Dunham, became the first co ed college in the US in oh. 1837? Liza's raising her hand. <laughs> <laughs> yes, don't Liza? I actually
7: know this because of Lena Dunham, but I think it's Oberlin. It it's is. Ohio. Yeah. Oberlin is yeah. correct in
8: Ohio. I also went to Oberlin. Shout out. Um, Shout out. Lila is an alum. <laughs> All right. Uh, number six. What coal miner's daughter recorded a song called The Pill? which was released in 1975 and is often credited with destigmatizing taking birth control. Loretta Lynn. Loretta Lynn is correct. That mm. was the question Amazing lady. for Mike. Well, I know, I mean, Mike was like, give so it to young, me, give it to me. <laughs> yeah. I don't
5: know what y'all know. I love Loretta Lynn. You know, and I, I don't know who yeah. knows what anymore.
8: All right. You know, how who played her in the movie? love Loretta Lynn. Sissy Spacek, right? Sissy Spacek. Sissy Spacek. Yeah. Wow. <laughs> right, um, yeah, yeah, we got a bonus you. question in there. Yeah, are on Who's
4: who's Michelle Obama? (laughs) Mike, Mike, sing her top song. Give us the the, the rhythm to her top song.
7: Wait, that's the answer, right?
4: Coal Miner's Daughter. How does it go, Mike? I'll tell you what
5: though. Loretta Lynn made that great record with Jack White, too, for all you kids. Yeah, really good. That's that's, that's a great record.
4: So, Mike, you don't know her song. All right, well, I thought you (laughs) did. He's He's pretending he doesn't
8: hear you. Um, Okay, seventh and final question. Margaret Sanger coined the term. Speaking of birth control, birth control, and she opened the first birth control clinic in the U.S. right here in Brooklyn in 1916. What, what, what? Birth control. Um, what organization did this eventually turn into?
6: Planned Parenthood.
8: Planned Parenthood. I
4: thought the question was going to be like who inspired the movement towards birth control, and I was going to answer Mike Edison.
2: <laughs> <laughs> Just kidding.
4: Sorry, I've done my part. <laughs> we tease each other. That's all not the time. like
3: very layered insult, Patrick. Just kidding. Um. All right, Sam. Thanks for the trivia. That was very. Fun. Guys, that was awesome. Good job special? reading it. Oh, thanks. Hey, Patrick. Patrick <laughs> I graduated college. I have another. I have one last uh, question for Patrick. Who was Franklin? <laughs> who um who is accredited with inventing the spoon?
4: Uh, well, is, we know we talked about Catherine de' Medici bringing yeah. the fork into oh, Europe.
3: That's what it was. <laughs> yes, yes. You know what I meant.
4: <laughs> I'm happy to help write the trivia as well. Who invented the spork? <laughs> the spork. That, that sounds post 1945. Who invented yeah. the coke spoon?
3: <laughs> Probably the same person that invented the connected teaspoons.
5: You guys remember when McDonald's had to change their coffee spoons because absolutely. they were like Coke spoons? By the they way, did you hear stores? the McDonald's Bin turned Bin their...
3: Absolutely.
5: <laughs> <laughs> he's, got, he's got a sock drawer full of them. He was like, he
4: freaked out and stopped them. Yeah. Did you hear the McDonald's turned some of their M's upside down to look like W's for National Women's Day?
3: Yeah, I don't know how I feel about that. I know,
4: yeah. it's weird, huh?
3: Yeah, on that note, (laughs) thanks to everybody for joining us today. Um, the Heritage Foods team Patrick Martins, Emily Pearson, Ben Tanzel, Patty Lee, Catherine Greeley, Elizabeth Greeley, and Mike Edison. Um, and thanks to all my HRN crew for being here as well. Um, be sure to catch out, uh, catch all of our interviews from Charleston Wine and Food once again. Um, and tune in next week. We're going to have the team. From Nighthawk Cinema here, Chef Kurt Applegate and Beverage Director Matt Walker. Um, they do some really amazing stuff with uh, food and drink pairings and menus to go along with your movies. So tune into that. We'll be back Thursday at 5 p.m. Thanks for listening, and we will see you next week. <laughs> HRN Happy Hour is powered by Simplecast. Simplecast is a popular hosting and analytics platform that allows podcasters to easily host and publish to apps like Apple Podcasts. If you have a podcast or are looking to create your very first, check it out. Try it for free and save half off your first three months at simplecast.com forward slash heritage.